Welcome to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed, your journey into discovering the amazing people and wonderful happenings in and around the Cothet region. Since her days as Powell River's first youth ambassador in 1994, Erin has continuously been involved in our community. Her love of the Cothet region and her understanding of the importance of connecting to the people living around you inspired this podcast. Coastal Currents is a no-holds-barred look at what's happening in our neighborhoods. But more importantly, it's about the people who live, work, and play here. Insightful interviews, frank conversations, and often hilarious discussions of issues, ideas, and people that matter to you. This is Coastal Currents. Here's Aaron. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Erin Reed. I was honored in early March of 2022 to be joined in studio by locally elected city councillor, Caroline Leishman. Caroline is also appointed as one of the city's directors on the Cothat Regional District Board. In her day job, she's an architectural designer and project manager and an environmental advocate. We talk about growing up in Powell River, some of her experiences and passions, And I throw the question out there, is she running for mayor for the city of Powell River in October 2022? Is she or isn't she? She answers the question, so you'll have to listen and find out. Here's my chat with Caroline Leishman. Caroline Leishman, welcome. Hi. Thank you for coming to the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's, I'm excited. Me too. I believe you're on board with playing a little game of this or that. Yeah, this will be fun. Okay. (laughs) It's random, so I've got I've got a random generator, so oh. let's see what happens. <laughs> beating ticket or parking ticket? Which I'll get. Let's go with that. Beating ticket? <laughs> misunderstood after death or forgotten after death? Quite misunderstood after death. Holy, that's a deep one. <laughs> wow. Apathy or obsession? Obsession. Ambition or comfort? Ambition. Mowing the yard or weeding the garden? Weeding the garden, or neither. (laughs) Lose sleep or skip a meal? Skip a meal. Dragons or unicorns? All both. A dragon that looks like a unicorn? That would be cool. Fire-breathing unicorn. Fire-breathing rainbow dragon unicorn. Nice. Showers or baths? Showers. Actually, saunas. Saunas. Okay. Yeah. Education or experience? Experience. That's kind of a tough one, hey? But yeah. But I love education, though. That's I'm such a nerd. Like, I love, I'm always taking courses. So I love education, but I don't have a degree. So. <laughs> owe money or owe a favor? Owe a favor. Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Train or airplane? Oh, airplane. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. Comedian in serious film or serious actor in comedy film? Comedian in serious film. Let's talk about you. All right. You're Powell River born and raised, right? Yes. Born in the old Powell River Hospital. Yeah. Town site. Yeah. What neighborhood did you grow up in? Westview. Westview? Yeah. About two blocks from where I live now. Really? Two blocks from City Hall. (laughs) Two blocks from my work. Two blocks from where I went to high school and two blocks from where I went to elementary school. Welcome to Powell River. (laughs) Yeah. Everything was in a pretty much two block radius. Holy cow. Yeah. So what was it like growing up here? It was wonderful. I lived on a dead-end street, played with the kids all in the neighborhood, running around topless until I was about seven. And my mom said, okay, you can't do that anymore. You can put a shirt on. (laughs) Total tomboy, like riding bikes, climbing trees, building forts, having fights with the Greek kids down in the next block. Like just, yeah, amazing, really safe, small town childhood. Right. Yeah, it was uh, was a good, yeah. And I just grateful for my parents. It was, it was a good upbringing. 
How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one younger brother. <clears throat> Driving nuts all through. He used to bite me. He used to, he, interestingly, because he was a Leo and I was a Cancer, he was always the boss. Three years younger than me and the other boys in the neighborhood would, were older than me, most of them. He would be the boss. He'd be the president, the boss, the king, right? <laughs> of any group or club or anything, the fort, he was always the boss. And I'd be like, wait a minute, you guys, he's the youngest of everyone. Why is he the boss? He should not be the boss. Oh, no, he was in charge, bossing everybody around. My mom would say, well, that's because he's Leo. <laughs> well, that explains some things. <laughs> it explains a few things. <laughs> How old were you when your mom got into politics? I would have, well, she also a Leo. She mm. was a Leo. She was always the president of everything. Okay. So from the time I was little, she was probably already... And she was she was a secretary and then an administrative assistant. So she was she could do shorthand. She could type a hundred thousand words a minute. She was just an amazing administrative person. Yeah. <clears throat> so she would end up from early, early on before even I was born. She would be always she'd join a club or a, a be on a board, and they'd right away figure out her skills, and she'd be taking the minutes. <laughs> so she'd be the secretary, and so always she started getting involved in different clubs and organizations and. And would be start out as the secretary and then eventually bossy pants her way into the role of president. <laughs> so she was growing up when I got into figure skating, she was the president of the figure skating club for years and years. Same time she was president of Meyer Hockey. She was one of the founding members of the Kings. She was president of Sunset Homes Seniors Housing Society for about 25 years. She, you know, anything she would get involved in, she would just kind of swoop in and just envelop it. And then she ran for council the first time. Uh, I was probably about 14 when she first got on city council and I had no idea what that was even about, but it, they were only two year terms then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Two year term. And she was in, and there was a terrible QP strike oh, where no. garbage was piling in the streets and yeah, negotiations went really bad and then she didn't get reelected. So she stayed out of council until probably about 2000, 2000 and something. I think she got back on there. That wouldn't be a fun first experience. No. No. Well, it was pretty, it was ugly. It was really bad. And it, it, with a two-year term as well, like you just get elected. It takes you about a year, you yeah. know, it takes like at least a year, year and a half to just get up to speed on what's going on. <laughs> Can you imagine like then you're running for the next term again? Like that just seems no. crazy now. That's why actually when they changed, they put out offering to change from three years to four-year term. I thought that was a good idea because yeah. It, honestly, yeah, it takes you a year to get your feet wet. Oh, know, at least, yeah. Even just to learn the cycle of what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Figure skating. Yeah. How long did you do that? My whole life. Really? Yeah, I was on skates in the old Civic Arena down really? on the Willingdon. Yeah. And uh, I was four years old and was one of the first little feet on the ice in the new rec complex when it was built. And uh, yeah, just like I was supposed to be Olympic champion. Like that was my whole childhood was figure skating Aww. day in, day out and taking ballet classes only to improve my figure skating. So I was like very competitive and I was going to competition all the time and training, training, training. I used to skate like probably 25 to 30 hours a week. That was just, wow. just everything was skating. So what happened? I became a teenager. And oh. actually when I got, I was in grade 10 and I got mono. I got really sick and I was sick for like probably six months. I ended up like, I almost, I probably almost didn't pass because I was falling asleep at school. I, I'd go home and I'd sleep for two days and my mom would have to like wake me up to eat food. It totally shot me back in my level of progression in skating. I was just getting to the peak. I was just getting into the triples. 
and land starting to land almost land triples and then i got sick and i came back for the ice show in may we always had the big ice show in the may in the spring and we did cinderella and i had to do i had i would got, got cast as cinderella oh. and had to do this part where i couldn't do much because i was still really weak because i hadn't <laughs> skated since competition in like october i had barely skated so i came back and i was so tired and i you know did the little but i couldn't all i could do is kind of glide around look pretty i couldn't really do much few spins and stuff and um then i really worked my butt off all summer to try to get back to where i was and i competed one more time in grade 11 and i didn't do that great and i was starting to get you know as a teenager you're just dealing with so much right hormones and just yeah. everything and i was starting to not handle the stress very well because the stress of competing as a solo figure skater is like got to be one of the worst mm. sports because you have one chance right <laughs> and if you're having a bad day you and you fall like it, sometimes it can just go totally sideways so i I did that competition then I just, I went, oh, this is, this is too much. I can't handle the stress. And so I decided to just finish my, all my gold test levels in all the disciplines. And I became a f professional coach right after, <laughs> right after graduation. I really went away and started teaching, coaching figure skating. Yeah. And joined a nice show, skated in Europe for a little bit. Really? Whereabouts? In Bern, Switzerland, and then we headed down to Nice, France, and then from there I ended up quitting because it was <laughs> just not a very well run. There were a lot of loopholes and things that ways that they would fine you for, like sit getting caught sitting in your costume or not remembering to get one of your costume pieces on because I was in like, I was a good skater. So I was in 12, I think 12 out of 14 of the group numbers. So some of them were back to back. So I'd have to go from a full snowman costume with a helmet and the whole battery pack and everything. I'd have to get that off in about 10 seconds and get into a tango dancer costume oh. <laughs> and run, run like the wind. <laughs> Oh. And, and you're just like stripping down backstage and the dressers are putting your gear on. And it was just like, this is bananas. I'd get my paycheck and it would be half missing because they'd be like, well, you forgot your one earring in the tango number because oh. they would track. You got caught sitting in, you got caught drinking a glass of water in your costume. It was crazy. That's so, ridiculous. Yeah. So it was like, no, this isn't like Disney on ice. It was, it was a bit uh, not as good as show. <laughs> More like hell on ice by the sounds of it. <laughs> and you know, I get that because just watching the Olympics, I mean, this last one was just a whole other realm with what went on. But yeah. I always feel that. And not just figure skating, but, but almost everything they do. They work so hard and they get one shot. One shot. One shot. And, and that's a, it. And a, I was watching like the ski jumping and the snowboarding and stuff where it's like you get multiple runs to qualify. And sometimes they probably get test runs in the morning before they do their actual runs. A lot of times we would compete at 9am say, and we wouldn't even get ice. We'd get a three or four minute warm up and nothing like wow. that's it. And if you had a bad sleep the night before, cause you're kind of jet lagged, forget it. Like you can, how can you go out there under all that pressure? And everybody's like, you have to do good. And you go out there and you're just shaking and it's, mm. and, and it's funny like you get total vertigo in different arenas so oh, really? we used to have to do i used to have to go and stand at the end I, we had we would have to consciously decide which end was the zamboni end for us because everybody perceived the spatial layout of an arena differently so sometimes we would from the same club would would 
totally think that the the Zamboni end in Powell River that we're so it's like my solo is going to start down there because the Zamboni end would be here. Somebody else might go, no, 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 it's the other way around for me. So you'd have to like visualize your whole program because oh, sometimes you'd come out of a spin and you'd start going the wrong way because nothing in the rink is familiar, oh, right? The whole okay. layout of the stands and everything is different and the Zamboni's coming out from the side and, and, you'd, and you'd come out of a spin and you'd start going the wrong way and it would mess up your entire program. You'd start, you'd, then you'd be lost. You'd be on the ice going, I don't know where to go. The audience doesn't know, but it can mess up your whole day. You can be like, I'm I've, ha I've seen skaters actually just stop their program because they're totally lost. And they wow. forgot the rest of the program because they didn't know where they were on the ice. I didn't even know that was a thing because, yeah. I mean, I'm not a skater. I mean, for me, I get on and push and go and the boards stop me and I fall on my butt and it hurts and I don't like it. <laughs> so I don't skate. But I've always been intrigued by it because it's, it's freaking amazing to me that you can put blades on your feet. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, right? And the jumps that you do. Yeah. But of course, I don't know that sensation of going up in the air and doing doing the spin. And I've always wondered, how the heck do you know where you are and how do you... It's amazing. And it's like the jumps, you get this timing thing where you take off, like if you're going into a double axle, you take off forward and you do two and a half rotations and land backwards. And that's not the hard part. It's more the spins, especially if you're doing a combination spin that you're lay out, lay back, and then you're going to a sit spin and then you come out. It's, it's when you come out of that spin, if you're, if you have time to slow down a bit, then you can quite often kind of get your bearings. If you're in a strange environment in a different club, you'll come out of the spin and you'll start skating and be like, oh crap, <laughs> which way am I going? And oh. it'll mess and it can just totally throw you that you don't know where you are anymore. And then all the stuff's going on in your head while the music's going and you only have three minutes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going into a big jump and I think I'm going the wrong way. And there's my, where's my coach? Oh crap. One time I was going, you know, when you're swimming and your face is in the water and then you suddenly end up on the side of the pool and you think you're at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Same idea. I'm like skating, looking around. Where's my coach? Oh crap. My coach is on the other side. <laughs> I'm totally backwards. And then you just make up a bit of the routine and just try to carry on. Oh wow. It's a really bizarre feeling. <laughs> I, yeah, that's... Yeah, people don't realize that. No, no idea. Was figure skating where you got into drama acting? Because I know that's a big thing for you, right? So my mom's evil plan for me all my life was to become Olympic champion. And then that was going to segue, segue me into film <laughs> so I could become a film actress. Okay. <laughs> so from figure skating, yeah, like she sent me to like the Blanche McDonald's in Vancouver to do mo basic modeling and etiquette, learn how to put makeup on, learn how to do your hair, <laughs> learn how to walk and not stand with to a her little tomboy. Little gotcha. tomboy, totally like wear dresses. And I'd be like, no, I'm wearing ripped <laughs> jeans. Like <laughs> it was always that, that way. And uh, so she was always kind of like, this is what you should do. And, and I did, yeah, and I was really shy. It's funny because as a figure skater, even though I would be cast as Cinderella in the ice show, I had no problem getting out on the ice rink with the spotlights and the crowd full skating, but it's like, get up on stage in front of people and have to say something that was like hundred percent completely different. Right. I did one play here and had a small bit part and was like, okay, that was terrifying. <laughs> Just both threw up going on stage. And, and then, yeah, it was always like, no, no, this is what you need to do. So I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which was in Pasadena back in those days. It's now in downtown Hollywood, the school, but um, I auditioned and I got in, but I got in the first time I got in, I had just gotten accepted to the ice show. 
So I had to make a decision. I contacted them and I said, I just got accepted to this ice show in Europe. It's a really good opportunity to see Europe. And so they said, no problem. Just let us know when you're back from Europe. And I ended up having to audition again. So I auditioned again and got in again because they were actually more likely to take Canadian students because it was that much more money for you with the exchange and having to come from Canada down to Los Angeles. So they knew you were going to be more committed. So they were more likely to take you in the school if you were from Canada or other countries. But it was, yeah, I got in that time and I ended up going down to theater school in for two years for, you had to be invited for, you had to be invited back for the second year too. Wow. It was a really intensive, like full-time, full-time theater, dance, singing, theater history, makeup, the whole, yeah, it was in dialects. It was, I didn't miss one day of school there because it was like, this is what I was born for. (laughs) This is what I want to be doing, you know? So what happened after that then? My visa ran out. (laughs) You can't stay down there if you don't have a visa. I almost married a friend to get my green card, but then I smartened up and then, no, that's not a good idea. Um, So I did, I did some films while I was down there. I did work a bit while I, while my visa was still active and then, yeah, it just got, and it was so expensive. And I, my poor parents were paying for me to live down there because I couldn't work. Right. I couldn't even get, when my visa was running out, then I couldn't even get a job. Like I couldn't even get a job waiting tables unless you could find that one that would pay you mm-hmm. cash. But they were, they were really hammering down on people having their <laughs> green cards. So I did the green card lottery. I didn't win. So I came back and, and did, uh, you know, acting in Vancouver. And then I started, when I came back to Powell River, eventually I was like, oh, I can actually do whatever I want here. I can put on any show I want and <laughs> cast myself in whatever role I want and yeah. not just be carrying a spear in the back row in some big production. I can actually do what I want. So it was more about the work than being famous or, right. you know, it was doing more it like for the passion. A, it was more the passion. Yeah, yeah. And just doing the projects that I wanted to do. I, and I was just not, yeah, I didn't really have again that my mom was always saying the killer instinct. I was like, yeah, I don't really have a killer instinct <laughs> for that either, apparently. And they would tell us that at acting school, they'd say, you know, you really have to have like, you have to be willing to give it all, you know, and it was like the misogyny that I saw. It's really true. Like the casting couch stuff. I had no time for any of that. Mm. I would just walk out and be like, excuse me. No, I'm not going down this road. And so I, I didn't have that. I'll do anything to get a role. It was like, no, I'm not going to compromise myself at all. This is not for me. Good so, for you. Yeah. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. Cause that's hard after you put that kind of time in that's hard. Yeah. But Good for you, because but it, yeah. it's wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> it's so it's, wrong. It's wrong. So then you came back to Powell River after that? I was always back and forth, bouncing around, because my parents were always here, so it was always my my place to come back to. <clears throat> but yeah, I spent a lot of time in other places, and I lived on a sailboat for a bunch of years with my partner at the time, and uh, yeah, just kind of living life and cruising around and living in the city and living in small communities, and, and I eventually ended up coming back here. Yeah, I came back... The last time I came back was like two, 2000. I came back in 2000 and I've never left. It's been a long haul. <laughs> it's been a long haul. Long time. How did you get into doing what you're doing now? Well, my marriage broke up <laughs> about a year after I came back. And uh, I was like, okay, now what? Now what am I going to do to make money? Because I think I was making like seven or eight bucks an hour <laughs> as a receptionist at a hair salon. And, and uh, I just started thinking about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life or even the next few years. When I lived on the boat, I lived on two different boats for about six years and I loved learning how to use power tools. 
because as much as my dad was amazing, but he was very much like, no, 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 let the boys do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't, don't touch that. I, he never showed me, he never even taught me how to drive the boat. Go, to go up the cabin, right? Like it was like, no, 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 that's for the boys, that's you know. Boy stuff, yeah. Let, let your school. brother do it. Hey, he's younger than me, get out. <laughs> so I liked um, that empowerment of learning how to use power tools. And I, I kept coming back to, I did my pros and cons list of all, and all these different ideas of what I can do now for a job. And, and carpentry kept coming up for me because of that, like learning to do things for myself. It's not that hard to run a palm sander, for example. And I figured that out. So it's like, I'd like to run power tools and know how to do things. It's weird that once you start thinking about something, then like people started saying to me, oh, you should talk to Jim Aegis about hiring you. And I, and I didn't know Jim at all. I knew, I knew Dan Aegis, his brother. And people kept weirdly started saying, you should talk to Jim Aegis about hiring you. And I was like, oh, okay. And I <laughs> called Jim up out of the blue and I said, hi, you don't know me. I think you, but you know my mom because they, they were actually building the first Sunset Homes project at the time. And okay. my mom was the president. So I'm like, you know my mom, I'm looking for a job and I'm wondering, oh, at first I call him, I said, can we meet for coffee? And then I we met for coffee at River City and I said, so just wondering if you would, if I had my first aid, would you hire me if, to, to do like apprentice carpenter? And he was like, yeah, yeah, if you, I could do that. I think that we could try that out. So I got my, I got renewed my occupational first aid which I'd already had and then yeah got hired on and had to learn from basic labor ground up like (laughs) just doing cleanup initially and like where are we going to put the girl (laughs) which job are we going to send the girl to well she can clean this one and then she can go here she could clean that site and then they eventually okay this guy he he's going to babysit you now so this one guy you know it's like can you show me something? Like, can I, I have a tool pouch. Can I? So they started seeing that I actually could measure and I could, oh, she can handle a skill soft. You show her how to do it properly and just fell in love with the whole industry. It was just so amazing. And the crew, like I was so grateful to have that crew of guys. It was all guys at the time. And, but they really kind of protected me from (laughs) the misogyny that went on in the rest of the industry. Mm, So it was, it was a good environment to learn and got into it from there. How are you finding that now? The misogyny? There's all, it's always there a bit still, but it's definitely gotten better over the years. Like when I first got, I mean, mind you, I was pretty young and blonde and (laughs) there was definitely guys, some of the guys that would come on the job site treating me very differently and not in a good way. Right. And so the crew would push them aside kind of and say, hey, never mind, leave her alone and let me do my job. And it was pretty apparent in those days that there weren't a lot of women in trades. Now it's it's definitely changing. Like there's a lot of more specific programming to train women to be in the trades, which is so amazing to see because women have a different a whole different skill set and mindset when it comes to working in trades, like working with your hands and stuff. Like I would measure perfectly and I would cut perfectly and they would never have to send down that board folding to recut it because it would be perfect. If you give me a measurement, it's bang on perfect. I'm not just sloppily cutting it crooked. And so that was noticed. People would, the guys on the crew would start to notice that and I would work my off. I would never, never wanted to be the one that was like, oh, it's raining. I would, I would keep working until all sets of my rain gear were soaking wet and the guys were going, okay, we're pulling the plug. It's a monsoon. Let's get out of here. The site is so wet. We can't even see our cuts anymore, you know? So I would try to like, I really like worked the extra mile and I would try and carry a sheet of plywood, even though it was breaking my back and my arms. Uh, but I would just be like, no, I've got to do it. And the guys would be like, never mind. You have different skills. Let me carry the plywood. I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm almost out of Advil. So... I was like living on Advil. My body was so sore. 
we had this one job where we had they bought this huge big skill saw like it was about it had to be two feet diameter massive for cutting timbers and it was to cut these timber lookouts and i was the first one with my hand up i want to run that thing right i could barely lift it <laughs> but i could get it up onto a block and then i could uh, get it up on my hip and then just drive it through these big timbers and everybody was just shaking their head they were like oh my god <laughs> But I did, I, I did all of those timber angle cuts and I was like amazing. I just friggin' loved it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to master that thing. Yeah. It's I like, gotcha. that's mine. <laughs> and all the other guys, I want to use it too. Can I try it? <laughs> okay, fine. You can try one cut. <laughs> don't mess it up <laughs> and don't cut your leg off. <laughs> as far as personal passions go, uh, it's no secret that you're very much passionate about environmental issues. Yeah. What? kick that off? I mean, it probably started, uh, an awareness definitely started when I lived in Los Angeles at theater school, because I mean, they had drought and flooding issues. And I remember like when we couldn't, you know, they were like, don't flush your toilet if you don't have to, don't run the water because there was a drought. And I started going like, what? That's weird. Because coming from Powell River, we had like just oodles of water and I would be like turning the tap on and <laughs> leaving the room when I was brushing my teeth, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was that kind of awareness of a limited amount of resources that I started to aware, be aware of. And then probably for me, it started with the plastic. When I learned about the, the Great Pacific Gyre, all the plastic in the middle of the ocean that was swirling around, mm -hmm. uh, that was horrifying. And the, you know, the, the, the nurdles and the tiny little bits of plastic that fish were eating and it's getting into the food chain. That was just like, yeah, that was a huge, horrific revelation. And then before I was, before I ran for council, I was contacted by people that knew that I was passionate about many of these environmental issues. The United States was trying to get rid of all the coal in the Powder River Basin. So they were trying to ramp up the ship transshipment to China of like 20 times the amount of coal from the States through Fraser Surrey docks because the West Coast of the United States ports had all banned the coal mm. from being shipped under Obama's administration. So they'd found a loophole to train it up into BC to port, port Metro Vancouver. And they were going to just like ramp up the amount that was going to be transshipped by 20 times into these open barges. The open barges would go from Fraser Surrey docks to the backside of Texada. So they, they targeted me as a Powell River, you know, area person who was passionate about environmental issues. And I was tacked with organizing the our region and it was I was involved with communities and and coal in Vancouver and New, New Westminster and that whole area and a bunch of other nonprofit groups that were advocating for to stop this and yeah I st had to organize a bunch of rallies and and started learning more about the issue and and it horrified me the more I learned the snowball effect of something like that of and it just it was like <sighs> like my brain just okay this is this is crazy. And realizing that whole thing of it all being about money. It was all about like the Koch brothers trying to get the, trying to get the, every dollar they could get out of that coal. The Obama administration had put, you know, limitations and didn't want any burning of coal in the US or whatever. So they were like, hey, we got to get it out of here faster. And they were, the whole West Coast isn't going to allow it. Let's get it up to Canada. Let's, uh -huh. and, and it was like going through a provincial park on the backside of Texada Island and barges, like in, in big storms, barges, there's open barges would tip over and they'd be like, ah, eh, it's fine. It's just coal. Uh, no, there's like, there's chemicals in the coal and it's blow. It was blowing off the trains in like White Rock, Surrey area. Coal dust was just like blowing off. The t 
<laughs> into people's mm. yards and covering their houses. And the kids were walking from school and the, all the parents were going, my kid is like getting asthma now because of this coal dust. It was just crazy issue. So. Which is scary because you look at, at the health effects for coal miners, all yeah. the, like the cancers and all that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's scary. And one of the, the train, the train would come right by through a resident residential neighborhood in White, White Rock and kids were walking to and from school and there was pictures of like the coal dust, like just like piling up on the side. <laughs> it's like That's just crazy, crazy right? Yeah. And so I just became like aware and then started organizing, you know, sessions about it. And the more you learn, the more horrifying it is. And we ended up, I ended up presenting to the regional district board at the time. And I did, never mind, you know, they say 10 minute delegation. Oh my God, I talked for 45 minutes with all the science and all the data and all the stuff I knew. And this is why you need to say no and da, 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 da. And I had the, they packed, uh, had all these supporters come with me that packed the room. The regional board at the time just after when they got to that agenda item, they voted against, they voted to to go ahead and set, tell the province that they had no issues with the expansion of shipping this coal through Texada because it was, was going in open barges to the backside of Texada and they were claiming it was a bunch of jobs. They, they were like, no, it's one guy sitting in a crane uh, unloading the barge and putting it in a big freighter. <laughs> Wow. There's there's a few jobs to build the port a little bit bigger for the freighters to come in, but that's about it. Right. So they just voted, no, tell the province we have no issues with this expansion to transshipment of coal to China. And wow. I was like, oh, my God. And so then after that, people started going, you need to run for council. So is that what's, is that what spurred it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. People started going, oh, excuse me, Kay, you have a big mouth and you have... <laughs> You're passionate about the issues. I think you need to run for council. And I was I was seen to be young. I was like a young elected official. They considered me. I'm like, yeah, you don't actually know how old I am, apparently. Well, I <laughs> mean, young. if we look at politicians across yeah. the province. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you were. Young at the time. Yeah, for, for the. Probably still are. General demographic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. I was curious about that because I wondered if you'd gotten into politics because of your mom being into politics. Not really. She was trying to brainwash me from the time I was like a teenager. She would like, we had a theater group. I was one of like founding members of the theater group. I was about 18 and she'd be like, Caroline, run the meeting. Like chair. And I'd be like, I don't want to chair the meeting. You got to learn how to run the meeting. And she'd be like, Robert's rules of order here. You got to do it properly. And I'd be like, no, mom, I don't care. <laughs> not my thing it's not my thing <laughs> she and she, like people would somebody said to me i think i was about 19 something about me being mayor one day and i was like good god no way like I, i'm not interested <laughs> in politics politicians are crazy like as if i would want to do that like i never had any you know especially because my mom then when she got back on council especially because she was on council i'm like Pfft following in her footsteps doing that it's bananas <laughs> i don't want to work with her oh god i was like at the time i was like no way man i'm like blah 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 over here doing theater and whatever and working in my new job my new career but yeah it wasn't it wasn't at all on my radar ever <laughs> so i wasn't going to get political i'm not really but you brought it up so are you going to run for mayor i i have to <laughs> It's like I said, it's not something that I ever had any childhood dreams about or anything. It's just a lot of people have been asking me to run. So I'm, I'm just going to run. And you know what, if 12 people run, that's not a bad thing. People have been saying, oh, you need to like publicly announce early and <laughs> take a big thing out in the paper. It's like, you know what? No, I don't need to. Like I'll, I'll probably start campaigning in the summer and into summer and because people have a short attention span anyway. And if a bunch of people put their names forward, then that's good. Yeah. Like, 
let's get more people involved and let's get more people interested in what's going on and that it's not a big it's not a conspiracy local government work is not a bunch of people sitting around trying to go how are we gonna screw up this town <laughs> right like it's everybody's doing it for the right reason that they think and and you know when you get on get on council something like this it, you start to learn <laughs> that there's way more to it than you yeah. ever thought so you end up changing your opinion about a few things but it's um god it's one of the biggest challenges <laughs> anyone can ever, ever tackle. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you that you're going to go for it. So what else are you passionate about? Kite surfing. Really? Yeah. When did you start doing that? Probably, I started trying to learn how to windsurf probably 12 years ago or maybe even longer. And I'm just terrible at it. It's so hard, physically hard and just technically hard. And then, so probably about, I think it was about 2013 or 2014, I just decided, screw it, I'm going to take lessons for kite surfing. Because I'd, I'd seen women doing it and going, okay, it looks like it's not as physically challenging as windsurfing. And so I went to the west coast of Vancouver Island, and there's a school that gives lessons. I signed up for the lessons in the summer one summer and went and took lessons, and I was terrible at it. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to drown. Uh, the wind was not consistent because I waited too late in the season. It went at the end of the summer and it was terrible. And I just got like loads of water up my nose. And so I, I went, okay, I'm going to go try it again the next summer. Tried it again the next summer. And then had a couple of, like finally after a couple of days, actually I did a women's camp the next summer. I should have done that first because the women's camp was like, everyone supporting each other mm -hmm. all at the same level. I wasn't like being comparing myself to somebody who's doing tricks on the beach. I'm like with right. a bunch of other women that were all at the same, like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so um, that was like, finally I started and we'd watch each other and I'd go, oh, I see what she's doing. That's, that's what you're telling me I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I see what that looks like now, okay. Ah. So I started finally getting it. And then I just became like a dog with a bone, just like, okay, I wanna get this. I wanna figure this out. And uh, I bought some gear and and started going over to, the, to that to Nittnat Lake every summer, and it's just a real culture. Like it's a real little group of um, people that are passionate about kite surfing. And and then I went to Mexico one year um, to because the same kind of people end up going down to Mexico in the winter. And I went over Christmas one year and had a pretty terrible kite mare and just about <laughs> drowned and drowned in the sea of Cortez. But besides that, <laughs> it was a good, a good experience. But, um, you know, you perseverance and it's really like, it's one of the, I, I love, even though I've, I have been terrified of drowning and <laughs> oh. all my whole life, I'm not, I'm not a super strong swimmer, but it's this, um, this feeling of freedom and this feeling of like when you get it and you're just flying across the water on this board and like able to do little pop jumps and and you're not thinking about the asshole that called you and was yelling at you about his potholes <laughs> 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 or doesn't like the size of his garbage container like whatever it's like you're not thinking about any of the stress when you're out there all you're thinking about is what's the wind doing where's my kite 
how fast am I? Oh, I got to slow down. You're just totally in the moment. And it's just, it's the most incredible feeling. That sounds awesome. And there's, we have a little group in town of little, small little community of kite surfers and windsurfers. And it's like, we're just all geeks for getting out in the wind. And it's like, well, oh my God, it's windy. Oh my God. It's like, gotta go. Who's going? Is anybody going? Like, what day is it? You know, if you're working, it really sucks. You want to turn the notifications off, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's super fun. And it's just, yeah, it's kind of one of my passions now. Where's the best place? Like, where's the best beach to? Secret. Top oh. secret. Gotcha. <laughs> it's under the hat. But you, if sometimes <laughs> if you look out there, you'll see somebody way out there in the, in the ocean. And one of our buddies, like, there's now foiling is becoming a thing. Kite foiling, wind foiling, where the boards lift right up off the water. Oh. And you're up on the foil wing under the water. So you're actually hovering above the water so i'm just learning how to oh that's cool i'm learning how to foil but on a windsurfer foil board because it's the kite foiling like i'm still i mean i'm getting better with the kite control but it's still like if the if the wind drops you're really at the mercy of like self-rescuing and you got to figure out you got to float back kind of sail your kite back in if the wind drops it's a bit of a gong oh. show can be so you got to really be aware of the conditions of the wind but um but the wind surf foiling at least you're on a bigger board and you've got you know it's just a a little bit um easier to learn the foiling but it's a super crazy feeling when you start lifting on your surfboard, you start lifting up over, like you're hovering above the water. Like suddenly wow. you're, there's no resistance. You're just like up and you're just like. You get a little bit of a God complex. It's just, you're flying. <laughs> yeah. You're actually flying. It's like, wow. oh, whoa, whoa. I'm, oh, I'm up on the foil. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So there's a bunch of uh, locals getting into the foiling as well. Kite foiling and wind foiling. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty fun. I have to go watch that one day. It sounds If it's windy, like just, I mean, actually the like grief point, um, it's a bit, grief point can be a bit sketchy, but if you, if it's a windy day and you go to grief point, there's a good chance you're going to either see somebody out on a windsurfer or kiting. And, and like the foilers can go anywhere. The wind foil, kite foilers can go like way upwind and fall over the place. And really, yeah, we'll stay, I'll stay really close to like <laughs> land <laughs> in case something happens, but it, it can rip, the tide can rip really strongly mm -hmm. around Grief Point. That does not sound for everybody. <laughs> You're just an adrenaline junkie, hey? Well, not really, <laughs> not really. <laughs> But it definitely does get your adrenaline going and it's, it, you get all like, oh God, it's super windy. And it's like, you're excited, but you're like, oh God, am I going to get just trashed over the, oh, it's like, what's going to happen today? <laughs> I always wear my helmet still like, cause the invariably the one time I didn't wear my helmet, I got turfed onto the beach. <laughs> Oh. To the somersault. I was totally fine, but it's like, oh, yeah, I should have had my helmet on. Okay. Yeah, good Helmets plan. are good. <laughs> no head injuries. Those aren't good. No. No. <laughs> so what didn't I ask you about that you want to talk about? <laughs> uh, the latest, the war in Ukraine is the most uh, prevalent oh. thing on my mind right now. I'm just starting to write letters to the Prime Minister and NATO trying to, you know, I just tell people that are feeling really depressed. Well, start, donate and, you know, to one of the humanitarian groups and write letters because government officials actually read them and they actually do listen sometimes. So yeah, if you think that the policy stinks, then write to them, whether they're federal, provincial, local, <laughs> write letters. It's just wrong. You it's know, it, so wrong. it makes me sick. Yeah, it really does. Like he's, people are being murdered for living peacefully in their own country. It's, it's crazy. It's just, I mean, it's as crazy as it could, is if it happened to us, right? Yeah. You're just living your life, you're doing your thing. 
and then suddenly somebody goes, "I want your, I want your town, I want your yeah." Province. We've got some pretty good resources over there. I think I'd like those. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna come in with tanks and guns and jets and bomb everything and take it all. Yeah. And they're using like really terrible weapons that are banned and. Yeah, I was reading about that one. The one that releases like a gas. Yeah. That fills up space, yeah. like all sorts of weird spaces, and yeah. then when they ignite it, it just and it's really dangerous, especially for civilians because yeah. you can't hide from it. Yeah. So yeah, it was. It's gonna be war crimes being uh yeah they're starting that investigation i saw today that they're going to start investigating back to 2013 so it's like when you hear that this kind of stuff is going on it's like it kind of infuriates me that people get so bent out of shape about the dumbest things locally like it's like like get your head out of your there's people dying there's children and women trying to get into poland because they can't and they had to leave their dad behind because he's gonna fight and he's not a he's not a soldier right there's yep. all these people fighting and they're not soldiers. There's a grandmother that was yelling at <laughs> yelling at the soldiers. Like she wouldn't let uh, she she was trying to block the soldiers yelling at them. I mean, it's just incredible. Like Good for her. Oh yeah. I mean, unreal. Unreal. Yeah, wow. and the tr- uh, yeah, I just watched the stories and go, you know, we are so lucky and why can we not just be more kind to each other and just like be more patient and just be respectful. Like yeah. why get, I, mean, I understand that the you know, COVID-19 pandemic has made people crazy. You know, it's made all of us into different animals than we were before. And it's, it's definitely have going to have long-term effects on people, For sure. but it's like, I don't know. Can you not be kind? Can you not be a better, can you not be better to people? Yeah. Cause we're all human. And that's my new tagline. What is it? Gotta put the kind back in humankind. I like it. It is. It's getting uglier. Uglier. Over years. I mean, when I was a kid, I never pictured the world looking like this. Yeah. 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 No, I like that. That's a good one. We need a happy note to end on. Okay. You have a dog? I do have a dog. What's your dog's name? I inherited my mother's dog. Uh, So she's actually my sister. (laughs) (laughs) She says, mom, you need to feed me. And I go, "Um, don't call me mom. I'm your sister. Her name's Chocolate, but I call her Choxy or Choco. She's ridiculously cute. She, I had to take her to the beauty parlor yesterday because she was just, she looked like Albert Einstein. Her hair was like, she had these huge big eyebrows and this big bushy mustache. And I was like, oh, good grief. You got to go. You stink. So she got, she looks like a completely different dog now. It happens with our dog too. Uh, I tell her it's time for a spa day. Yeah, spa day. <laughs> You're getting nasty. But she's adorable and she's a good she's a good little companion. So she keeps me company and keeps me out walking. And Were you a dog person before? We grew up with dogs. We grew okay. up with mostly collies. My parents were into collies. So we always had a collie named Lassie. <laughs> Lassie one and then Lassie another one and then another Lassie. They used to follow us to JP Dallas. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> And then we had Daniel the Spaniel. He was a character. Oh, my God. Daniel. He was funny. Uh, and then I had a Great Dane, actually. I inherited or I adopted a Great Dane when I years ago when I moved back here. And he was wonderful, Zeus, but he was a handful. He was 165 pounds. Holy cow. So that was quite a different experience than Chaco. She's only like, she's about 15 pounds. And she's a little <laughs> Shih Tzu cross and she's hilarious, but... That's yeah, she, a legit lap dog, le- not, legit. not the 165 that thinks they're a lap oh, dog. Oh, yeah. He thought he was a lap dog and he'd climb up on top of the couch and try to put his head in my, like, oh, Jesus, your head weighs more than me. Like, he just was huge. 
and just but a big softy but yeah she's she's lovely and she's very um she's very gentle and very she loves kids like she hears the neighbor kids and she wants to go play with the neighbor Aww. kids and go see them and she goes up and wants to be loved by everyone she's Aww. so adorable so hard done by they act like they're oh yeah right like they get no love yeah yeah absolutely yeah knitting or crocheting <laughs> crocheting <laughs> Knitting. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's my pastime in the evening. Is it? Knitting, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I used to do, it got bad for my carpal though. I just powered through. I have carpal too in this, and I just powered through. It's actually getting better. I just <laughs> knit every night now. I just knit every single night, and it's like, oh, that's going away now. That's good. Perfect. <laughs> maybe you need to take up knitting. Maybe. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I took up podcasting instead. <laughs> For our listeners, though, yeah. you also have a podcast. I do. You have The Real Rant. I have The Real Rant podcast, which I haven't done an episode in quite a while, but I've got 14 or something up on there that where I talk about, I rant. That was I started it in COVID because I was like, okay, I can't meet people in, in coffee shops and chat about their issues. So I'll do a podcast about the latest things that people are contacting me about. And the first one was the bottled water issue that, mm, that yeah. was coming up at the time. And yeah, I just was like, oh, this is a kind of a neat platform to be able to just control the narrative and say what I want <laughs> and I've had a few guests but not too many I've had a couple and and um yeah just kind of talking about local issues and and wanted to also kind of educate the listeners on local government government structures and how things work and sort of defeat some of the myths around closed meetings and you know I've ta I've talked a little bit about that like it's, yeah. and conflict of interest people don't understand that stuff so I I try to like bust those myths and explain what they're really about but it's a bit entertaining <laughs> where can they find it uh it's on apple podcasts or um you know any of the main podcasts but if you google the real rant podcast it comes up okay yeah perfect so there's like 14 episodes about whatever <laughs> transit <laughs> active transportation, water bottling, local governance, yeah, committees and what what does it all mean? Like, yeah, I'm I'm overdue. I got to do another another episode. Well, I want to thank you for that because that's actually got what got me going on this podcast, yeah, right? That's cool. I just heard about yours and I checked it out one day and I thought, "Wow, that's really cool." Like, I I really like that, right? And I just started thinking. I was like, Caroline can put that together. I can figure that out, right? And I reached out to you and you were so helpful. And I was oh, like, good. But at the same time, I'm one of those freaks that I really want to understand what it is I'm doing. So <laughs> yeah, I, it, was, it was months ago when you reached out to me. Yeah. Because after that, I was like, you know what? It's kind of like there's an app for that. I bet you there's a course for that. So I Googled it and BCIT was running a course. So I signed up and took it in September to just graduated Awesome. in December and thought, this is part of my putting kind back in humankind. I want people to get to know people in our area on a personal level. I could have asked you to come in. We could have talked about politics this yeah. whole time. <laughs> Which would have been really boring. Right? And you do that enough. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, let's talk about life. Like, yeah. Like, who's Carol Ann? What makes you tick? Where did you come from? What did you do? But I really appreciate you taking the time to do this because I know you are incredibly busy. You've got lots going on. Like, I know, so City Council. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sunset Homes? So Sunset Homes, I was on the board, but now I'm project managing the new build for okay. in my day job. So they hired the co construction company I work for. So I'm project managing the build, but I'm also helping the board with some of the stuff. So okay. that's a that's taking up a lot of time right now. You're appointed to the regional district regional as part of the city. That regional district. I'm the chair of the Palaver Regional Hospital District Board, which is the same board members as the Kithat Regional District. Okay. 
and then I'm the chair of the climate change mitigation adaptation committee for the city. And then I sit on a bunch of different provincial and regional <laughs> climate change groups, BC Municipal Climate Leadership Council and the Vancouver Island and Coastal Communities Climate Leadership Plan Committee. <laughs> Holy cow. Tell me there's an acronym for that because wow. V-I-C-C-C-L-P. <laughs> See? <laughs> Tell me what it means to me. Tell oh. me what it means to me. <laughs> Holy what else? Cow. Yeah, I have a day, my day job, yeah, building and uh, designing and uh, green building. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really had a good time doing this podcast and it was fun to get to know you. Yeah. You know, I we haven't had a chance to have conversations like this. Yeah. So. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's been, it's been a blast. So thank I'm you. honored to have been asked. Thank you, Carol Ann, for taking the time to come into the studio and have a chat about uh, growing up in Powell River and some of your experiences. I know that being in local politics takes up a lot of time over and above people's passions and their work and home life. So the time Caroline spent with me in the studio was greatly appreciated and I wish her all the luck in the fall. If you are interested in becoming a guest on Coastal Currents, I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to hear from people from all different walks of life. You can contact me at Coastal Currents with Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at gmail.com. You can reach me on Facebook at Aaron Reed, or you can reach out on my Facebook page, Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Thank you, and I hope you'll listen to the next episode. Thanks for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the podcast, visit www.coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. If you'd like to submit a topic or join the conversation as a guest, email Aaron at coastalcurrentswitharen at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.